Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. All right. One more, Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. God is the most high. God is the most high. Is the most high. God is the most high. Psalm 78, 56 but elsewhere uh, or numerous places throughout the Bible describes God to be the most high. Also in Isaiah 57, 15, it says the high and lofty one of the translation, the high and lofty one. He is the most high. He is the high and lofty one as he lives in a high and holy place. What kind of place does he live in? High and holy place. And he is also with one who is lowly and contrite in spirit. Also, Isaiah 57, 15. So he lives in a high and holy place, but he is also with one who is lowly and contrite in spirit. So faith means to know the most high and know that the most high is God alone. Amen? What is faith again? Knowing that the most high is God alone, the only God. And therefore, faith life um, is in order to live with the most high. Because it says, God lives in a high and holy place. How many of you want to live in a high and holy place? You know what the opposite is? Yeah, we don't want to think about that. We want to go to the high and holy place. So if we want to live there with the most high, we have a task at hand. That's to live every single day of our lives as Christians, as believers, having this faith, to live with humility, as we just read, having the same mindset, same mind as Yeshua our Lord Christ. So to have the same mindset, same humble heart as Yeshua, lowering ourselves, lowering oneself, that he may lift us up in due time. First Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Want to be lifted up? Want to be lifted up? Because when the Lord comes back, he will call to himself, those who belong to him to rise up, to be lifted up to where he's at. So we want to be lifted up in that day. But for us to be lifted up, what do we have to do? 
Lower ourselves. That's right. And lower ourselves. Is this good enough? No. I have to keep on going and going and going. As the title of the sermon reminds us, faith is humility. Faith is being humble. Faith is humility. So uh, we have kicked off the new year here in EMS talking about what faith is, what, to, what it means to keep faith, keep on believing, uh, ING. This is uh, active and in present progressive tense. It is not about yesterday. It is not about what I may, may do or might do in the future, but it's about right now. Am I believing? Am I in the faith? And here today, we're talking about faith as in being humbled and humbling ourselves. So because the lower we become, the higher he will lift us up. So we are in a race to become what? Lowered as much as possible, which is very difficult. You know why? Because humans by nature are proud. I know, even though they say, oh, I'm not proud. But there is pride in that, right? So it's as you grow older and you know more about yourself, know more of other people, more about life, man, people are just a bunch of conceited conceited big-headed beings um people are conceited because of their looks if they have good looks they are conceited so yeah good-looking people uh, from your you know you know those people who are popular in school right it's like they're good-looking uh handsome and beautiful they're gonna be naturally conceited right um and if um as you know one gets older, then you need the help of makeup. Uh, and with the help of makeup, then you have the confidence. Thank God for makeup. That's what I always say. <laughs> so it's like morning and night. It's like morning and night. Like morning, you saw them in morning prayer and night. It's like, what happened? It's morning and night difference. So thank the Lord for makeup. Yeah, makeup help. And then uh, you get the looks. Uh, when somebody is smart and they grow up being told they're smart, 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 smart then they're going to feel very proud, uh, um, be conceited because of that. Uh, and as they grow older, um, unless they're born into wealth, um, and they, uh, either they're born into el- wealth and they grow up in wealth, but, uh, or they accrue wealth on their own, uh, the more possession they have, uh, the, proud, the more prouder, the prouder uh, more conceited one becomes. But in reality, um, as many psychologists will tell us, no one is uh, perfectly proud in the sense of um, having, not having any insecurities. Actually, everyone does have a sense of insecurity or sense of inferior complex. So the fact that it's called inferior, there's a comparison being made. Because by nature, humans are always competing and comparing. So within the home, if you have siblings, uh, if you have one or two or even more, and I know was it Isaac's mom, she grew up in 11 siblings. Was it not, no, I'm sorry, nine, nine siblings. I can't imagine what that must be. It's just like, if you get your dinner, good luck. You know, it's like, oh, you didn't get, we ran out of dinner. Oh, sorry, wait for breakfast. That's how it goes if you have that many kids. So it's like you have to become ultra competitive to eat, you know, and then get your attention from your uh, parents. So uh, children grow up very competitive. It's already a built-in society if you have that many kids. Um, and then uh, I, I, obviously there's a playground society and school, workplace, and so on. Um, so you would think that people who are high achievers, who are successful, whether it is education, academics, and, and career, uh, are without a sense of inferiority, but uh, inferiority, but people still ha- have that sense of insecurity. And I joke about this with Bob too, but there's something called imposter syndrome. And I, I'm proud to admit that I've suffered, I've had suffered from 
uh, imposter syndrome, especially when I was in, in academia, like going through graduate schooling. It's like finding myself in a room full of like super smart people. I felt like, I'm, oh, don't ask me anything. I don't want to reveal how I'm dumb. I don't, I don't know anything. Uh, I don't want anyone to find out that I don't know anything. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. That's what I'm going to do. Um, so that's called the imposter syndrome. But simply, high inferiority complex uh, is defined by psychologists as a basic feeling of um, inadequacy, insecurity, right? Insecurity. And these feelings may stem from a real or perceived deficiency in some uh, areas of one's life, whether it's physical weakness or psychological weakness of some sort of shortcoming, whether it's real or perceived, um, because of it, they have this sense of lacking and being inadequate. Um, and they feel, uh, and, and people who suffer, who has this sort of inferior complex um, may display um, symptoms of anxiety and depression because of these things. And therefore, they may withdraw themselves from uh, relationships and society because they feel very uncomfortable being with other people. So they are often isolated or they isolate themselves. And, and psychologists say or therapists say the cause may be the childhood uh, experiences or even adulthood uh, experiences, um, some social disadvantages, uh, physical challenges again. Um, some kids grow up you know, at, taller than average or shorter than average or bigger than average, heavier than average or lighter than average. So when they don't feel like they're part of the big group, they feel very different and they're Therefore, they have this sense of inferiority complex. Um, so um, it could also be now with social media, uh, you look at sort of the uh, cultural messaging, and if you feel like you don't fit the trend and, and the desirable um, image, then um, people can suffer from inferiority complex. What's interesting about uh, inferiority complex is that some may actually overcompensate um, this inferiority or sense of inferiority by being excessively competitive and they are very busy pointing out faults in others and have trouble admitting their own flaws. Uh, and that symptom is related to what's called superiority complex. So um, those are like um, like the hand, the out, outside of the hand, inside of the hand. It's sort of like describing one phenomena. But it's on the one hand, it's they seem very superior. But it's, it was coined by um, psychologist Alfred Adler in early 1900s. Um, but it's uh, pretty much defined as overly, uh, overly high, uh, having overly high opinion of oneself um, or an exaggerated opinion of one's abilities and accomplishments uh, that derives from an overcompensation of feeling inferior. inferior, inferior. So they feel inferior and secure, so they overcompensate it by flexing their muscles that they don't really have. So they're trying to look bigger and better and stronger and faster and so on. But simply it's a defense mechanism uh, that develops over time to help the person cope with feelings of inferior. Now, if you're sitting there going like, I know someone like that. Or like, oh, I wonder which one I am. And this is the thing about personality and psychology. Everyone's busy trying to categorize themselves and the people that they know. But this is just an example to get to the point of the sermon, which is about being humble but to point out why we need to be humble, everyone's got these issues, right? And psychologists will or may explain it this way and categorize people this way. Um, um, and that the reality is everyone is proud, but everyone is proud because they have this sense of insecurity, inferiority. So they want to compensate it and try to speak up louder and be faster than other people and just say, see, I'm better than you. But deep inside, they're going, I am not better than anyone. I am the loser here, right? Um, 
And what the Bible shows us throughout the history about showing God being the most high, it shows that all creatures have this tendency to be proud, to be self-centered, to be egocentric. So egoism or egotism uh, would be uh, one way of describing that. So ego uh, or the self-centeredness, and this is just an attribute, a very prominent attribute of creatures. But what the Bible shows us, as Proverbs 18.12 says, before downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So downfall, before, the, before downfall, the heart is haughty, meaning when the heart is haughty and proud and thinks that it's better than others, there's downfall coming after that. But humility comes before honor. If you want to be honored, you have to be humble. That's what that proverb is reminding us. And the reason why we are struggling with all this, again, because we are created as creatures, we have this sort of um, dual you know, tendencies to feel inferior and then overcompensated by displaying ourselves to be superior and always having this sort of tension with our neighbors and in relationships. Uh, we can see that from the spiritual creature that God made to worship him before he made humans. And those were angels, and namely, that was Lucifer. Let's go to Ezekiel 28 together and to find out what kind of trouble he got himself into. 28.12. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign law says, You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, crystallite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, so... I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You are blameless in your ways from the day you were created. Pause there for a second. Wow. If you were beautiful, talented, and you decorated with all these stones, what would this creature be like? Proud. Naturally, you got all the things. And then you, got your, you have a fan club. You have following. Everyone's going, you are a star. You're a rock star. Not sausage, but you are a star. You are a sweetie pie. You are beautiful. You're awesome. You're number one, number one. And then naturally, this person is going to become proud. And that's exactly what happened. And this is speaking of an angel, not just a regular angel, but an archangel named Lucy L. But then we continue here from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you are filled with violence and you sin. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. So this is definitely speaking of this guardian sheriff, in other words, uh, an archangel named Luciel, but he becomes Lucifer the moment he becomes proud, and then he rebels against God. He's also known as Satan. Altogether? So Satan means an uh, uh, adversary, an enemy of God, and he becomes an enemy of God when he says, and Isaiah 14, 12 to 15 says, I will make myself like the Most High. I will make myself like the Most High. I, was, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will be like God. Even though he's just a creature, because of his pride, he decided to do this profane things. Here it says disgrace, but a profane things in the eyes of God. And God would not tolerate that. The moment that he saw that he became proud and challenged the throne of God, challenged the honor of God, the Most High... 
God threw him out from the spiritual heaven and threw him into the spiritual space we live today, the universe, which was created to house this prisoner, this um, guilty one. So uh, 2 Peter 2, 4 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. In English, it says hell, but in Greek, it's tartaros, which means darkness, and it's not burning hell yet, as in um, the burning hell of Matthew 5, 22, which is Gehenna. Gehenna is this fire hell that is after the judgment. So that's what it says. They were held, and they are held here. So with Lucifer, a third of heaven fell with him because they said, we'll go with him. We like him. We want him to be our boss. We're going to go with him. So God threw Lucifer and his followers down out of the um, spiritual heaven and contained them in this space called the universe. But simply to God, it's whole Hades, as the Greek um, translation shows. And that is darkness where we are today. It is the same place that will burn uh, and burn like a garbage incinerator, like a trash burning. So that's Hegena, Gehenna, as uh, Yeshua himself said about the fire of hell in uh, Matthew 5, 22. So this is where all things were made, as we read in Genesis chapter 1, all creation here in this place that we see. Um, and what we know, um, the fact that God uh, threw these, uh, these spiritual beings out of the spiritual heaven immediately was that God hates, what God hates the most is pride. And what God cannot forgive is pride. So Proverbs 3.34 says, He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before, before a fall. So do you want to know why anyone is destroyed? You don't want to know why anyone's going to be judged to be destroyed forever? It's because of their pride. So we see that through and throughout, uh, and it all began with, uh, this spiritual creature uh, called the uh, called Lucifer, Satan, and um, the angels that followed him. But it, because um, they are in this space, our ancestor Adam, the spiritual being, living being, who lived in the Garden of Eden, was tempted to be the same, to do the same. So in the garden, uh, this living being was placed, and God gave him the word to live by. And that word says... You can eat from any trees in the garden except from this one tree. What's the name of that tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, if you eat of it, you will surely die. You will certainly die. I mean it. You will die. No question about, no doubt about that. But of course, God was speaking to spirit inside the flesh. The flesh is going to die anyway. So the warning is about the spirit. You live according to God's way. You eat the word of God, you live. But if you disobey the word of God, you reject his command, you die. Meaning spiritual death in hell. But um, certainly uh, this word was not kept by our ancestor Adam because he was tempted by a snake, a serpent who came to Eve and said, You will not surely die. In fact, you will be like God. Eat the fruit and you will be like God and you will know the things of God. So you can see that the angel who wanted to be like God, wanted to be like the Most High and failed and was contained here in the form of a serpent appeared and tempted our ancestor Adam and said, take the fruit, you will be like God. And those words were sweet to his ears. Certainly it was the, uh, the woman first. And then the woman gave um, the man with the same words. And he was uh, deceived and took the fruit uh, because of his pride. So therefore he sinned. 
And instead of becoming like God, he became a sinner, slave to the devil, following the devil's way all the days of his life. Not only him, Adam, but entire mankind to finally be thrown into hell with him, as 25, uh, Matthew 25, 41 says, to the eternal uh, fire. But God uh, began his work to reveal himself as the only most high by calling on one people. And that was a people coming from Abraham. They were chosen to be the people of God. And they were delivered from their slavery in Egypt by sending Moses uh, and, and, and having him perform many signs to lead them out of their slavery in Egypt. So in, uh, in the desert, they traveled for how many years? For 40 years. For 40 years they were there. And that was a reminder for them to know. That they were once slaves. Uh, But that because of God. They were set free. They were delivered by God. And became the people of God. And they were commanded to build a tabernacle in the desert. And God placed his name there. To remind them. That he alone is the most high. Which name is that by the way? The name of Jehovah. Which name? Jehovah. Yeah, the name of Jehovah was the name of the Most High. So when the people of Israel saw the tabernacle and said, uh-oh, don't try to be like God because you know what happens. He will destroy us because there's only one Most High, the Most High, and his name is Jehovah. And remember that we were slaves. So it's like broken record. God reminded them over and over again. It's like, you remember what you were. It's like, stop telling me. Oh, my God. It's like, it's like just like give up. But no, God didn't give up. God kept continue to, uh, continue to uh, remind them as Deuteronomy 6.12. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Deuteronomy 15.15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Remember, remember, remember. Remember what? That they were? And the name of the Lord, who is the most high, is those two things. They had to remember over and over again. And this was so that they would not forget what the Lord had done for them. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's start from 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your father's had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know that your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So how many years again did they journey in the desert? Now, when they left uh, their slavery, God has said, I will lead you to the promised land through the lips of Moses, of course. I will send you to the land of uh, Canaan, where... What flowed? Milk and honey flow. Not only uh, in this passage, there's even olives and pomegranates. Wow. It's more than milk and honey. There is like pomegranate and olive oil, extra virgin olive oil. All of the good stuff is there. So they dreamt of this paradise, but what they saw was this dreadful desert, wilderness. And the reason is why? To humble them. To humble them. So God continues, um, and then it says, let's go to verse 12. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, all you have is multiplied, then your heart will be become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, the thirsty, waterless land with venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end, it might go well 
with you. You may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for he, it is he who gives you the ability to... Pre- so, if you, everything goes well with you and you say, well, it's my education, it's my skill, it's my, my, hand, my hands and my feet, my body that allow me to make all this money and grow my wealth, it's all because of my hard work. And they will forget to thank the Lord and to live honoring him as the only most high. But God, this is why God reminded them like a broken machine that it was him who brought them out of their slavery and there to uh, remember that they were tested for 40 years. And how many people survived the test, passed the test? Only two. Out of how many? Close to? Two million. So everyone failed basically because they all were found to be stiff-necked people. What kind of people? Do you have a stiff neck? I hope not. I have a stiff neck because I'm on the computer all the time. Yes, but stiff neck is referring to proud person. A proud person. The reason why God did not bring them immediately into Canaan, which they could have from Egypt to Canaan, is a walkable distance even. Travel by foot. They said by 11 days. 11 days. But how many years? 40 years. They had no GPS, poor people, no Google map at all. So they had to go follow, follow, follow. And during the time, they die. They were put to death because of their pride. They would not be humble. But it was God's intent to humble them and fear God that he alone is the most high. Jehovah alone is the most high. Isaiah 2.17 says the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humble. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Isaiah 57, 50 says, for this is what the high and exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. God lives in a high and holy place because he is the most high. Understand? Yes? But he also lives with chooses to live with not those who think of themselves uh, highly but those who are lowly and humble and contrite that's what god wanted them to know the people of israel however in spite of that because of their pride the pride in their hearts and being stiff-necked people they forgot and therefore god struck them down amos 6 a uh, the prophet prophesied the sovereign Lord has sworn by himself. The Lord God Almighty declares, I abhor, abhor the pride of Jacob, meaning the people of Israel, and detest his fortresses. I will deliver up the city and have everything in it. I'm going to bring all the enemies and strike them down and destroy them because of their pride. So what did God do? He used their enemies, their neighboring tribes, to attack them. Be they Assyrians, uh, Amorites, or Hittites, or the Philistines, the Babylonians who marched into Jerusalem and torn, burned down the temple. Even God used these Gentiles and, and other tribes and armies to strike them as with a rod. A rod, not a rod, but a rod. A rod. Where have you heard that? In Psalm 23. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What comforts me? 
his, his rod and his staff. Now, shepherds carry these two things. They had the staff. You know, the staff kind of has like a, like a keyhole shape. So uh, when uh, the sheep it falls or sheep or goat falls into some pit, they use the hook to bring them out. Um, but they also carry a rod, another stick. So that stick can actually ward off wolves or animals that may come predators, you know, against their, uh, the herd. But also, because sheep are apparently very stubborn, so once they get stuck, they don't know how to reverse. They don't know how to switch the gear. They don't know how to do it. So they just keep on going the way. Unless the shepherd taps them. Or sometimes, hey, spanky, spanky, let's go. So then, oh, yeah, and then they turn. So the rod and their, uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you might think of stick as like being a violent and abusive and hurting. But in this context, it's out of the love of the shepherd for his flock to protect. At times to guide and rescue, but other times to strike so that they humble and turn from their ways. So when we read through the book of Job, and which I spoke about before as well, we in those 42 chapters, very long book, um, what we find is, yes, a story of a man who loses all his fortune, his family, everything within days, uh, and is just uh, just crushed, crumbled. Um, and all those chapters, there is an like, argument and a debate going on with his close friends, even his wife. And then in finally, God speaking to him, and ultimately he repents. But during that time, the lesson is, this actually indicates the history of Israel. It's, uh, the life of Job is a microcosm of the history of people of Israel. Because they became proud and they had their own nation. They even there have their kingdom, their king. And they have wealth. They have land, their children. They have forgotten about God despite his warning. So they, for, um, they had forsaken God. They uh, had decided to worship other gods um, and, and uh, commit idolatry. And therefore, God struck them down. So Job twenty two twenty nine it shows the principle of being humble to be lifted up. So it says in verse 22, 29, when people are brought low, you say, lift them up and he will save the downcast. So for you to be lifted up to be with God, you have to first be Humble. In spite of those words, Job, the man, was resistant. And he had said, I will be vindicated. I had done nothing wrong. I'm not even going to sin by complaint to God. I don't know why all this is happening, but I will be vindicated. I will be proven to be right in the end. But as he has, even his wife says, just curse God and die. Look at yourself. You're struck not with all this misfortune, but even sickness to your body. You look pathetic. But he was so um, um, stubborn and would not give up. But by chapter 40, 41, God is saying, who do you think you are, Job? Do you think you can do any other things that I can do? I'm the almighty, the creator. And hearing God saying this, then Job realized in chapter 42, verse 1, he replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you still, you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And it's like there was like that thundering until then. And then quiet. Suddenly, God has now been satisfied with what Job had come to acknowledge. Which is, I hate myself. I hate myself. Look at myself. I'm not righteous. 
I'm unrighteous. I'm evil. I'm pathetic. I am the lowest. I'm less than a worm. I'm a sinner. So in dust and ashes, I repent. And what happens after that is God restored him. Restored his fortune. Restored his family. Restored his blessing to have more and be more prosperous than before. How many of you want to be blessed by God? Do you believe that he is the blesser? Amen? Yes, because he is the most high. But the way he blesses and what he expects is for the lowly to repent, be contrite and be broken and admit, acknowledge what they are before the most high. So this is the reality of people of Israel because they resisted, they were under curse. But there was prophecy by Isaiah and by Zechariah, but at first Isaiah saying in chapter 11 verses 1 to 4, a shoot from the stump of Jesse will come. So from the line of Jesse, Jesse, David, the king, and from that line will come who? Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That he will come to do what? There in Isaiah 11 says he will judge the meek of the earth. The meek, the gentle, the humble. He will come and decide for the gentle. And Zechariah 9, 9 described this one saying, rejoice greatly daughter Zion, shout daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Wait a minute, hold on. Your king is coming to you righteous and victorious. Righteous and victorious, riding a stallion like a warrior. Yeah. Like our king David. Yeah. But then it says, lowly riding on a donkey. Little donkey. A donkey that has never been written. And such an humble, lowly image. A donkey on a coal, a fall of a donkey. So that is highlighting, yes, a king is coming. But this king is not only righteous and victorious, but he is humble, he is gentle. And he is coming in the name of God. Not delivered through angel as in Jehovah, but in the Father's name, Yeshua. Hallelujah. And standing before the temple that had the name of Jehovah. What did he say? Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in. So then the Jews who heard him considered this as blasphemous because they knew that they were under curse. They had lost their sovereignty. They were now being occupied as a colony by a foreign power. The only thing they had hope going for them to not give up on their hope was the temple of Jerusalem. Reminding them, God is the one, the most high, is the one who delivers us from our slavery. and He will continue to do this work once we repent and turn back to him. And there is this man in the eyes of uh, the people saying, destroy it and I'll raise it in three days. This is absurd and this is blasphemous. But what Yeshua was saying was the temple of his body. I'm going to die, but in three days, I'm going to be raised back to life. And that this time through his death and his resurrection, therefore, he will deliver the people not from physical social slavery as in the country of Egypt and only the people of Israel in the name of Jehovah, But he will do this work in the father's name of? The father's name of? So the father's name is the name of Yeshua. In that name, he will deliver from slavery, spiritual slavery, the souls of all men. Because all men became slaves of the devil after the ancestor Adam sinned. Whether you knew it or not, whether we knew it or not, this was a reality. But that's why God sent his own, his son, his one and only son to come as man to die. But through his resurrection, he will prove that the name of Yeshua is the name of the Most High. Amen. That 
through his works that he will accomplish this amazing thing to give chance for the souls of all men to become children of God. Because in the end, when the people of Israel were delivered from their slavery in Egypt, they became servants of Jehovah. They became, a pe- they became a, the people, chosen people of God, but they were actually servants, not children. They could never even imagine being children of God. But this time, now the Father, uh, the, the Most High God himself came as man, that through his work, that he will make a way for the souls of men, whosoever believe, to become children of God. So after he was baptized, Yeshua um, went to, uh, to, to fast for 40 days, went in, and he was uh, in the desert and met the tempter, a.k.a. the devil, who is the same person as who? Satan. Do you remember Satan? Yes. The one who tried to be like God because out of his pride, right? And he was thrown down to uh, this material heaven in the universe, and he showed up to tempt Yeshua while he was at his physically weakest. So what was the first Temptation? I know you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. But we just read in Deuteronomy 8, 8, right? What does it say? Man, what did Yeshua say in response? Yeah, you're right. I'm so hungry right now. Watch me do it. Well, don't make me do it. I'm going to do it. Don't make me do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to eat it. That's not what he did. He said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, the temptation with bread with food, is connected to finance. So again, I'm going to try to make a connection with us here, relatable here. So the temptation that Yeshua um, was met with and that he defeated is regarding the flesh. So in the flesh, we are going to be tempted regarding food, regarding provision of food by money. Money, money, finance. Financially, we are going to be tested. But the way we overcome it is by the word of God. If you obey the word of God, trust the word of God, trust the promised word of God, you shall overcome. You shall overcome. Second test is what? The devil took him to a high place and said what? Jump, jump to test and see if God will catch you. Even citing the scriptures. But Yeshua said, do not put the Lord God to test. You shall not test the Lord God. So, Jumping to test God is being tested for your faith. In your faith life, for you to grow, there is going to be time of test. But do not test God, but trust God that this test has been given for you to overcome. Amen. And thirdly, he showed him, uh, he showed, uh, the devil showed uh, Yeshua the, the world from a high place in the city and said, I will give you the splendors of the world, all the splendors of the world, if you bow down to me. So what's the ultimate test then? Bowing down? Remember, this creature is the one who wanted to be like God because he was so proud. So it's a fight against one's pride, one's ego. So the ultimate challenge is like against one's ego. Because that is the biggest target of the enemy. Yeah. So don't be so busy finger pointing at you, my enemy, there, my enemy. The enemy is right here. Pride. But Yeshua overcame that as well, defeated once more and once for all. And that was by saying, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Hallelujah. The way to overcome that temptation to be proud is to be humbled and humble yourself before God and serve him and serve him alone. Amen. Who is he? He is equal to God himself. As we read in Philippians chapter 2, 6, the very nature God equal to him as John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, 
And the word was with God. The word God. He was with God in the beginning. So the word was with God. The word was with God in the beginning. In eternity, that word was God. Who is God? God is the most high. Who is God? The word was the most high. And verse 14 says, the word became and made his dwelling among us. How about we read, the most high became flesh. Ready? The most high became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, when we say the word became flesh, it sounds so abstract. But then when you say the most high became flesh, it hits you in the chest. The most high who lives in a whole high and holy place became flesh. Became flesh in the likeness of man he came. In the likeness of a servant he came. Like a worthless lowly being like me he became. Yes, he did. He came to the world that he himself made. Though he is equal to God in his nature, glorious, powerful, wonderful. Holy, righteous, perfect in every way. Came in the likeness, in the form of imperfection. So he is the perfect God. He came in the image, in the form of imperfection. Meaning he became flesh. He came, he became man. He came as the son of man. Why did he come as the son of man? Though he is the son of God. And he called himself the son of man more frequently. To highlight his humanity, his Humility. And the reason why he became flesh, came as the son of man, was, as he said in Matthew 20, 28, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. That means to lay down his life humbly, he came to become a ransom, to pay the price of sinners. Pay the price of sin for undeserving sinners, lowly, worthless sinners. I say worthless and because in the eyes of God, sinners are worthless. They are to go up to be thrown into the fire. Before them, he came as the son of man. And he said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, learn from me, I am gentle and humble in heart. I'm gentle and humble in heart. Therefore, he rebuked, he rebuked, very even uncomfortably, those who claimed themselves to be self-righteous, and because of that, they had such pride. Matthew 23, if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Kang's sermon, talking about, um, we read about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the issue I pointed out. And he had said, everything they do was done, in, uh, done for people to see. Whether it was charity work, or praying, or fasting, it was all to show off to other people how righteous they were. But in the end, it says, for those who exalt themselves will be humble. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. What did he say? Those who exalt themselves will be. And those who humble themselves will be. Once again, those who exalt themselves will be humble. And those who humble themselves will be. He was not just talking about the Pharisees there. We need to keep in mind. He is speaking about the word being applied to his own self his own life, his own body. He who is the most high became flesh, already came to the lowest place we is, which is Ho Hades. This is the place that will become hell. He came in. 
in the appearance as man like us. But now he's going to go to the lowest place because only then the principle of being humble and then being lifted up will be applied to him. And then in that process, the one who tried to exalt himself, who is that? Who is that? There you go. Devil, Satan will be crushed and brought down. That's why he did not defend himself when men came to arrest him. And even before Pontius Pilate, who had the authority to let him go and let him live, he did not defend himself. Rather, humbly, silently, he chose the cross. And the cross involved being tortured, flogged, stripped naked, so that he would go through the humiliation of being hung there as he was bleeding out to death and naked. So that people who walk by would shake their heads. Who is he? He is the most high God. The sinless one. The innocent one. The holy one. Who, the one who deserves and does live in a high and holy place. But became humble to the point of death on a cross. He died. He died on the cross. Because he knew the principle. The truth. As he was in the created world. He cannot bypass. He cannot surpass this principle of being humble. In order for him to be lifted up. That's why as he died he said. It is finished. It is finished. Because this is what I came to do. And I'm breathing my last. To put that punctuation a period. I have finished. I have completed. I have become the lowest ever. There is no other place I can go. This is the lowest I can go father. I am hitting rock bottom right now. And I trust 100% in your promise. That you will lift me back up. If your word does not come true, I am most cursed and I am the most hopeless. But I have faith in you. As we read in Hebrews 12 too, he is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Showed us what faith looks like. Faith is to trust in the word of God 100%. Trust is so much that to the point of death you are humbled, lowered, hopeless, despair, completely, totally. And the only thing that's left to do? Is to be lifted back up. To be exalted to the highest place. Hallelujah. That's what we read in Philippians chapter 2. Let's go 5. Let's read from 2.5. Your attitude should be the same as that. It's the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God. Did not consider equality with God. Something to be grasped. But made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. And became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. So he was made in human likeness. Came in the humble form of a servant. And laid down his life humbly. And he was obedient to death. And the lowest. So again, the fact that the most high God, the creator of all, came into the creator world, that is going to become a garbage incinerator, basically. That's what Hegena means. This is a place where you burn trash, the most disgusting, dirtiest, lowliest place. He came as if that's not enough. He had to go to the cross because the father gave him the command, John 10, 17, to lay down his life willingly. 
And he did so humbly. But describing this in Jonah chapter 2 verse 6 says, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So if a mountain is high, and they say, just like an, an iceberg, there is root system that is just as deep. So it's like a mirror image. What you see is the height of the mount, a mountain. There is that long and d- deep root system. So when, when the, the word there uh, in Jonah says, the roots of the mountain, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. And it was for him to become the lowest so that the father will be glad and fulfill his promise, keep his promise and lift him back up, exalt him and not just exalt him to be where he was before he died, but to the highest place by giving him the name above all names. And that is the name of Yeshua for him to reign on the throne forever and ever as the king of kings, the most supreme one. Hallelujah. And by doing so, he judged the one, the creature who forgot his proper position and domain and, and became proud and challenged the God, of uh, the most high God, that is Satan. And by becoming a ransom for sinners. And again, who are sinners? We're referring to all mankind in Adam, all men in Adam, like including you and me. We are just creatures. One of the creatures. And yet for us, He became a ransom. The son of man became ransom to substitute my place to pay the price of my sin and shed his precious blood for me so that I may receive it to become a child of God, children of God. Hallelujah. The father raised him up and again, he sat down on the throne and it's from that throne in the highest place. He sent the Holy Spirit in the name of Yeshua. Say amen if you receive the blood of Yeshua. Do you believe you're a child of God? Do you call him Abba Father? Who is your father? My father is Yeshua. I receive his blood. His blood is running through my, the veins of my soul. My father, our father, our redeemer, his name is Yeshua. It is the Holy Spirit who testifies in us that we have father in heaven. In the past... As a sinner, as a worldly man, before knowing Yeshua, before being baptized, being born again. I lived just like the world, try to compete against in this rivalry, competition, try to survive in the competition, in the home, in society, try to be better than others. And when I felt like I was not better than others, and sometimes I had to overcompensate and look bigger and louder and better. Meanwhile, I'm still scared of myself and being feeling insecure. And, and when, when one feels like they have a lot to boast about, they feel happy. But when, when they feel like they don't have much to boast about, they feel sad and depressed. That was us in the past. But once going in the water, according to his command, after receiving the blood of Yeshua and to be sealed, to be sealed as his children and be righteous, uh, be called righteous, be justified. Be, we, when we go in the water, we go as this sad, vain, proud sinners. But coming out of the water, the soul in me has become justified. I am now justified before God. Hallelujah. I have been made right before God. Amen. That is the soul. The flesh, however, is a different story. The flesh is a different story. My soul, the soul in this flesh, has been perfectly justified. Perfectly made holy. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? Regardless of your moods, regardless of what you have done, the soul has been washed, cleansed, and been justified. But the flesh now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has to be changed. We're not done. We have this life to live, which is the faith life. That is to live with the life that confesses that Yeshua is the most high. The name of my God, the most high, is Yeshua. And now I have to have his mindset. Now I have to have his heart, which is humble heart. To learn from him who is gentle and humble in heart. Who has no reason to humble himself. Yet became humbled and was treated like an animal by men who are like animals. He was treated like worse than a sinner by sinners themselves. But this is all within the perfect plan of the Most High God, the Father. And because he was successful at becoming nothing, he was lifted up. And set a model for us to follow. And that's what the Holy Spirit reminds us and lets us do. Become that. He inspires us and pushes us and challenges to have the same humble heart as Yeshua. To have the same mindset as Yeshua. To have the humility of Yeshua. So who is a true believer? We say believer because we're talking about faith. But really we're talking about the Christian. The true Christian made by the Holy Spirit. If I have received the Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is in you. You speak in tongues as a gift. A sign of the Holy Spirit is with you. But that is not the end. That's a beginning. Beginning to what? Beginning to the work of humbling myself. To humble myself. And that means to value others above myself. As Philippians, in, in Paul, as Paul writes there in Philippians in 2, in, in the verses we read prior to the passage, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambitions or vain conceit. Even as you say, I serve you, I serve the Lord. If you're doing it for your own ego, this is out of vain conceit. So in humility, what we, ought, what we ought to do is to value one another. Value others above myself. Easy or hard? Easy or hard? Hard. Because why? We are proud. Because I'm proud. Why? I don't know. Just by nature, I'm darn proud. I'm egocentric. I am conceited. I have no reason to be, but I, I am. And that's what the Holy Spirit came to do. To break me, to crush me, to break down that pride. And if you're sitting there going, I'm not proud. You are proud. And on top of that, you're lying. Just as we had heard, as David confessed. My sin is always before me. My pride is always before me. My arrogance, my conceitedness is always before me. So there is this concept of altruism, which is described, again, philosophical, psychological, as being opposite of egotism or egoism. Altruism is looking out for others. So there's a whole discussion about effective altruism. And if you heard it with the fall of FTX at the company and what they were trying to do um, 
the founder who's now Sam Brinkman Freed, right? So he's uh, accused of stealing billions of dollars from investors, uh, but apparently has this desire to be involved in what the movement called effective altruism. So to help others, you're going to find whatever you can to raise the goods and give as much as possible. So on the outside, it sounds good. It's, it's altruism. It's like you're becoming selfless to do good to, uh, good to the society, good for others. But a lot of times that altruism is actually a disguise or package for egoism. So you feel good about yourself and you can say, I'm righteous. I'm pretty decent. So again, no one can be perfectly selfless in this world because of this flesh. But that's why the Holy Spirit came so that he teaches us and leads us to follow our Lord. Who alone is perfectly gentle and humble in heart. And it is an impossible task. Looking at my neighbor, I don't know if I can value him above myself. Her? I don't know. This is why we have to pray, repent, and put every effort. The word would not be given to us if it wasn't difficult for us to do. Even Paul said in, in his letter, 2 Corinthians 10.1, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. So I am kind of insecure when I see you, so I can't really say fully what I need to. But away, I may seem more, uh, uh, seem bolder as I write you these letters that may be hard or harsh. But with gentleness and humility of Christ, I am saying these words. We have to realize that it is an endless task for us to be humble. Unbelievers, why, why are they unbelievers? Why do they refuse to believe? Because they're proud. Because they're proud. They say, I live according to my own um, righteousness, my own conscience. I don't need God. I don't need the help of anyone else. I'm not fearing hell because I'm not that bad. I don't think I'm that evil to deserve to go to hell. As the Bible says, Job 26, 7, though the pride of the godless person reaches the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. Psalm 10, 4 says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. The people of Israel became proud because they observed the law, just like the Pharisees. They, would, they claimed to be righteous by the law, so they became stiff-necked people. What about Christians? Christians today, new Christians, newcomers, they don't know anything. I, we love you, they don't, but you don't know anything. Yeah, so they don't know anything. They just come. They just come and they like the people. They don't see anything. But once they are converted, they receive the Holy Spirit, they start obeying and become more mature and maybe even have responsibility in the church, serving, been here, done that, I've seen that. So they have, they have a crude experience in the church. They have some knowledge of the teaching and they have formed some relationship and position in the church. Then there is that ego disguised as faith. And again, I'm not saying that faith is bad or, of course not. We want to have faith. But sometimes at reaching, reaching certain level of faith and faith life, without, being, without realizing they're being tested for their faith, they can think that they have faith while they have pride. So understanding church is the place where we have this value system. It is not currency and money out there. Uh, it is not like a commodity, like physical things like out there in the world. But the commodity is faith. The value currency is faith. So if one says, I lay down, I give this much of money this time, and then I have served God this way and doing this and done, done that, I've been here long enough and I have this position and I have this title now, I'm a leader too, then they have all the reason to be proud. So they get tempted. 
This is only natural. So when we're tempted then, and, and then they will say things like, how can, how can they say that? How can the pastor say that after what I've done? Yeah. And this is not realizing that pride is always going to be there in this world. Remember the one who first was dropped in here are, are um, the angels that, uh, with, with Lucifer, Satan. And tempted by him, our ancestor became proud and sinned and broke the word of God. And we're in the flesh that are prone to, that, that's prone to become proud at whatever reason, at whatever cost. So 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6 is in the same way you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he may lift you up in due time. Do you want to be lifted up in due time? Do you want to live in a high and holy place with the most high? Yes, amen. Then we have to clothe ourselves in humility. So that can come at times by being disciplined by the church leaders. Yes, that has happened. Sometimes they have to be removed from their position. They are approached and they are, their advice to f- repent and fast when they resist to do that and when follow and then they have to go to the next step. So this is the way that we discipline because we want to encourage the flock, the sheep, to follow the word and to apply into their lives even if it may be feeling humiliating and embarrassing and painful therefore. But humbled, they will accept So the reminder of the word is this. Let's go to Romans 12. See the structure of the church, the hierarchy of the church. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. And so on. It continues in that chapter there. But the highlight for us is do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So just because you've been here long enough, just because you've done that you are higher than you really are. That there is order in the church. Everyone has different function. As in there is the, the head of the church which is Christ. But to oversee the church. God through the Holy Spirit has appointed leaders over the flock. As uh, Acts twenty twenty eight also says. So that's the pastor. The pastor is the leader of the church. Not because he or she is perfect. But because, because of their faith and their commitment to the truth and, uh, and, and their effort to live accordingly and to preach and teach the truth and, and lead the flock that way, they have been appointed to be in that position. So the responsibility is not just preach from the pulpit, but to also guide the flock. And at times that could be counseling in the room and giving a hard discipline, taking disciplinary action for that individual situation or those individuals involved. But when one is humble, then they will take it instead of criticizing and challenging the leadership. As Romans 14, 4 says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Referring to the Lord's servant. To their own master servant stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. So you may have different opinion than the pastor. Pastor likes um, vanilla, but you like chocolate. And say, why vanilla? Why don't you take chocolate? 
And the pastor said, well, I like vanilla, and we're going to go buy vanilla for this, I don't know, occasion. But I want chocolate. How dare you? I think I'm going to leave church because you like vanilla. So, again, I'm not saying that it's simple, but it could be opinion difference. It's like, where, how come you don't give me this title? How come you don't put me into this position? I think I deserve that. But don't you think the pastor has prayed deep enough and long enough and meditated on the word and thought hard and spoke and considered so many things like playing chess, like all areas. You need to left and right, front and back. You need to consider all these moves to put that person in that place in that particular time in particular place. And then you just react emotionally because you are proud. So that's what it's saying. Like, who are you to judge? And remember the story of Moses taking out a Cushite a wife and Aaron, the brother, and, and Miriam, the sister, thought, that is not what the law says. Mm-mm. So they began to criticize uh, Moses, their, their brother, but leader of Israel. Then what happened to Miriam? Though what Moses did was not according to the law, God has said, who are you to criticize and judge my servant? And what happened to Miriam? She turned, she turned white as snow. She, be, she became leprous. So what is this telling us? Oh my God, what are you telling us, pastor? That we can't criticize you at all? It is about what the leadership, the structure in the church is like. Certainly, if the pastor is going astray from the foundation of the truth, you ought to question, you ought to bring it up and say, pastor, that's not what the word says. Why are you taking us that direction? This is not right. And the pastor has to take it humbly. You're right. I don't know what happened to me. I must have gone crazy. But if it's about difference of opinion, you may suggest different opinion, different suggestion, propose. I know in this room, you're mostly you're new in your faith and faith life. So this is sort of like, what? Who's doing that? But I want to set a record for us to learn. This is what the scripture says and where the Holy Spirit leads us. So we have to be humble. Yes, does not mean that the pastor is right to be proud. Absolutely not. The pastor has the pressure to set example, to be gentle and humble in heart. That's why it's even harder. Believe me, I, I spent this morning as I spent every day throughout the week wailing and beating my chest for being arrogant, being conceited and being proud and not being humble like the Lord. So as we are going through hardship, we have to think about rod, rod. At times we may be struck in our, be finding ourselves in financial situation. At times we may be hit with sickness. And then you say, what have I done wrong? I thought I was doing everything right. I thought I was obedient, going to all the meetings and even serving, evangelizing and giving money and spending all the time. But why am I hit with this sickness? I don't understand. I don't understand why I lost this job. I was faithful, not because I was late to work, but I was working very hard and I was there working harder than anyone else. But why all this happened? The company closed down. So I lost job. So I'm struggling financially. Instead of going, it's not fair. God is not fair. He's not loving. Where's the love of God? But rather taking the shortcut to what Job went through. Remembering that God revives the spirit of the lowly and the heart of the contrite. As Proverbs 29, 23, pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gains honor. So when I'm struck financially, I have to repent for not relying on God, but relying on myself. Perhaps I was distracted by promise of money or more money. Or that I was finding security. I thought that I set myself up for the future instead of trusting in my heavenly father. That's why one is struck financially. And when one is struck physically, through physical ailment, once again, it is for doubting. 
trusting the worldly ways and physical ways instead of relying on God. That my breath each and every day belongs to God, not for me and not to me and not to my family. And when I'm going through struggle in the church, within the church with my brothers and sisters, even in my group as a leader, you can be struggling with your group members or the group itself is very difficult. Why? Because you have not prayed. You have not humbled yourself to serve. Your pride has taken over. So it is chance for the Lord to crush us. And when he's crushing us, we must be crushed. When he breaks us down, we must be broken down. So instead of asking, why is this happening? This is too hard. I don't understand. Didn't I work hard enough for you, God? Didn't I serve you enough? What God wants to hear is I despise myself. I hate myself for being proud. I hate myself for this ego to sprout. This ego is every chance to sprouting, sprouting like mushroom after rain, just sprouting out of nowhere. Where did that come from? I thought I crushed it, stomped it. But it's there. It's there all the time. And God hates the proud. And the devil loves to use the pride so that we be against God. So I must, when I understand that I am being struck with the rod through what someone has said to me or attacking me, challenging me, it's to be struck down. When I'm being beaten, I must be beaten down. That is by God. So I'm not to resist it. No, 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 I don't want it. I don't deserve it. I'm proud. I'm right. Then God will eventually abandon that soul. But when I heed, humble myself and fall before him, don't you ever forget that he is our father in heaven. Our father, our redeemer from everlasting who loves us for his love. He sent his only begotten son to lay down his precious life for me to pay the price of all my sins. He died. He laid down his life. So would he not lift me up after I humble myself? Amen. Never forget who God is. The most high who loves us. If he loves me, why would he abandon me? He's not taking pleasure out of beating me down. Because of my pride. With my pride, I can never be lifted up to be where he is. Only when I'm lowly and humble, then he will lift me up. If I'm trying to lift myself up, he will crush me. He will strike me down and he will break me. And when I realize that I must come to repentance and fall over like King David did. Cleanse me with his, created me a clean heart, a renew a steadfast spirit in me. My sin is always before me. I can never hide before your fiery eyes. You alone are the most high. Even through this hardship, I praise you for you alone are the most high. So as you go through your hardship, if you feel like you're running against the wall and you have hit the wall, do not lose heart. Understand that God is using this situation or those people in your life around you to use them as rod to beat you down so that you become more humble and lowly so that he himself will lift you up and exalt you when he comes back. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Like the prodigal son who had everything that he needed and more yet ran away. We have all ran away from our father's home, father's heart. 
but by his precious blood, we have been given birth as his children. One by one, we have come back to him. But because of this pride, we still think like prodigals at times. As we have heard this word, we have to remember and now come to our senses and turn back. Turn back. Realizing over these years of being a Christian, being in COJ, I thought I have become someone great. I have definitely become proud. Now I realize before it's too late. Strike me, Lord. Crush me, Lord. Break me down, Lord. So that I will not be hated by you. But that you will welcome. 